Coming to you live from Browns headquarters in Berea, Ohio, this is Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Brought to you by Jack, the official entertainment partner of the Cleveland Browns. Here are your hosts, Bo Bishop and Nathan Zagura. Let's do it live on a draft day look back at day one, look ahead to day two, Friday edition of Cleveland Browns Daily. I am merely Bo Bishop. He is the Z, which stands for Zagora, and he's petting a pup. What a wonderful time. I can see it. It's beautiful. How That's, you living, brother? I'm living very, very well. I got Asa here with me. Obviously, a, a great night last night. It was a whirlwind, uh, you know, from the virtual draft party, which I got to give a shout out to my guy, Drew Davidson, and our boy Paul Taylor for helping put that together and uh, our great sponsor Bud Light Seltzer. We had it was a blast. And, and I yeah. just saw we had over 186,000 people checked that out last night, which to me is just speaks it to the absolute like power of the Browns fans. It was it was a great time and then, you know, you get into the draft and I, I was fortunate to be able to to text with our general manager Andrew Barry last night and and like they got their guy. They went through a lot of scenarios. And not every scenario had Jedrick Wills available to the Browns. In fact, the vast majority of the scenarios they went through did not. And so they couldn't be happier to have gotten their guy at number 10, the top tackle on the board. He was the top player on the board at the time. And I think it was a great start. You know, it, it was funny, though, Bo, right? Everybody was saying, oh, we don't know what's going on. There was all this smoke. This went exactly like you and I thought it was going to go. I mean, almost to the T through the, the only picks in the, first, in the first 10 that we didn't have exact where we had a different tackle. We had Wirfs going to the Giants, not Thomas. Right. And we had Henderson ride. going nine, but to the Falcons, not to the Jags, who ended up taking him. So, I mean, that top 10 went pretty much exactly how you thought. Tackle the Jets at 11. It really was a, a fairly straightforward draft. The only thing that I would say is, is interesting is the two positions that we really want the Browns to attack today, they pushed a lot of talent into this second round. There's still a ton of talent on the board. Yeah, there, there sure as heck is when you look at who's available uh, at safety and wide receiver now in the second round. It was straightforward. It was it was really interesting. I think if you probably went back to – we theorized about this, and I think it probably ended up being true. If you went back to the combine, yep, everything you thought at the combine remained true. And I think an enormous reason for that is that the league hasn't been together. There weren't pro days where you could congregate. So it was almost like – it's almost like people's boards at the combine stayed their boards – for the draft, it, it really appears that way. Um, I was, I was. The only thing that was stunning to me was just no trades. I thought potentially we would, but remember, we talked about this too. We said that that we we remember saying talking about this last week that you thought there was a decent chance that the technology would lead to playing it safe, that people would be, you know what. I'm not calling people. I'm not doing virtual calls. I'm not going to forget that I'm up on this stream and down on this stream and talking to this. Let's just take our best guy on our board. The first time in 15 years, no trades in the top 10, um, as everybody just kind of took the best player on their board, whether it was need or best player available. Um, that was, that was a, a pretty remarkable thing. There were big picture things that were interesting. It was really interesting for us because, obviously, when Isaiah Simmons got past Carolina, you thought – so you're saying there's a chance. You, you thought maybe there was a chance. And not to say that I would rather have him over, over Jedrick Wills. It was just the idea of him slipping, which would have made, led to a very interesting conversation at number 10 if Simmons would have got to 10. There were 
it was hard for me to imagine that Wills would get there. But I will say, if you remember coming out of the combine, there was all this buzz about the tackles. There's going to be four tackles. They're all going to be gone before we pick. We're going to have to pick Josh Jones or Ezra Cleveland. And I remember saying on CBD right after that, yes. Remember we had a poll. We had a poll about this. I think Gibby did a uh, ask anything question with Gibby. Are there going to be two or more? And I said there'll be two. There'll be more. People will want their quarterbacks in the top ten, and three of them went. And the and the tackle. Just one in the top, just two. Obviously, we picked Will's 10, but just Thomas in the top 10 other than that. So a lot of this stuff was stuff that we heard and believed at the Combine playing out last night in the first round. It, it really was. As we said, the worst-kept secret coming out of there was Herbert to the to the Chargers. That yes. happened exactly as we thought. You have been talking about two of the Dolphins. That happened exactly as we thought. And, and yeah, I think you're right. I think a lot of people saw what they saw. And it's going to be interesting because I think that that means, you know, your board – at the Combine is set based a lot on tape and based a lot on what yeah. you think of the player once they've played games and when they finish playing, not all the stuff that happens after. Oh, how will they shake your hand and look at you in the eye? And I think that's why you saw a lot of continuity in those boards from that time on. Um, I think it was very interesting from an offensive line standpoint. I, I thought two would go. It ended up being one. Uh, we had our pick and we got our guy. You know what? I just always thought, I don't know why, and I don't know why I thought the Cardinals just wouldn't pass on Simmons, and then you see where Cliff's drafting from, and you're like, that's yeah. why they're not going to pass on Isaiah Simmons. <laughs> and so it's, you know, I think a very, very, he's so talented. And did you see the quote out of Carolina today? Did I see it? What am I hard of seeing? Was that I, I not- just don't know. I don't know how if if that's well, it's not a quote. It's a right. It's an ESPN it's, well, it's an reporter. ESPN for reporters, the what he said, yes, parroting their their thing. Their, their thinking. Their thought. Their 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 thinking. Go ahead, read Which it. Which was it's the stunning. Panthers liked Clemson linebacker Isaiah Simmons a lot at number seven. He was the best pure athlete athlete on the board, but they felt he would be a better fit for a veteran team because of his ability to play so many positions. So instead, they went with Auburn Derek, defensive tackle Derek Brown. So they thought he was too good for a young team. He could do too much for a young team. Speechless. Exactly. I, Speechless. I read it this morning, and I just somebody tweeted that to us, and I just thought, so he's too good. He can do too much. And right. again, Derek Brown's a stud. I, I, I'm not. They got a great player in Derek Brown. He's going to be a great player in the middle of that line. Um, but but you got a chance to do that, and the reason you don't is because he can do too much for a young team. We don't want a guy who can do too much. We just want him to do one small thing. I just thought that was bonkers, absolutely bonkers. Nuts. And the other thing I would yeah, go ahead. No, I was just saying it's nuts. I agree with you. It's yeah. mind-boggling. For us with Wills, the uh, and you and I were texting back and forth, and it's been no secret that we liked Simmons a lot. But as soon as Simmons went, uh, I, you and I, we had a little back and forth, and I texted you, now just go get Wills. And the reason you wanted that is, is twofold. There's two reasons for that. Who do you believe in and trust on offensive tackle more than anybody that we know personally? A guy named Joe Thomas. I don't know. He maybe he knows what he's talking about. And he was emphatic about emphatic. Wills. So yep. that makes me emphatic about Wills. Same. I don't pretend that I know tackles, right? Joe Thomas does. So he loved Wills. Guess who else loved him? Dane Brugler. Loved him. Number one tackle on his board. Number one tackle on Jeremiah's board. Thomas, wide range. Jeremiah had him not even in the big four. He had him in that next group, but he went yep. fourth overall. So once that happens, that's lottery ticket for us because I didn't, I wasn't crazy about Thomas based on what we heard from Daniel, what we heard from Joe, and, yep. and what we heard from Dave. And so for me, it was like once that happened, I felt like we kind of won the lottery because I'm like, well, we're going to get one of the other three if Simmons doesn't fall, and we get the best of the lot. 
that was incredible to be able to get Wills. And and to see Joe's reaction, and Joe's going to join us for an entire hour coming up at 1.30, uh, was really exciting. And then to just see the young man's excitement, uh, to hear some of the stuff that A.B. said, to hear some of the stuff that Will said last night, um, this is really exciting. And if you think about what we were last year on the offensive line, um, and I don't, I don't know what happened to Greg Robinson. We, we, we loved him. Uh, he's a yep. great human being. The whole thing is sad. Uh, Very. But they, they, I think they thought with the, the change in offensive line coach last year that they could go, you know, hard line with Greg, and it went backwards. It went yep. the other way. That's that's not the way you coach him up. Um, and we, and, and you think about what we are now on the offensive line, and what we have now with the edges, with what I think is the best tackle in college football coming out, in Jedrick Wills, and on the other side Jack Conklin, and compare that to what you were a year ago, and say. I don't know how you can improve much more in a year than what the Browns did. Well, listen, I, I talked to Joe about it last night. I, I think you have to go back to 2014, which was the last time, A, the Browns had an awesome offense, B, the last time the Browns ran this scheme when you had Joe Thomas, Mitchell Schwartz, Alex Mack, John Greco, and Joel Batonio was your line. That's the last time the Browns had a line potentially as good as what this one can be. And you think about Andrew Barry. I asked him last night. I said, it, clearly, you've remade this line. You just went out and got the best tackle available in free yeah. agency, the best tackle in this draft. It was obviously important to you. That's what place you want to put your resources. And he said, look, I think when we have the skill position players we do, it's incumbent upon us to give them the time to make the plays that they need to make. And they couldn't have been happier. And look, I know that Thomas goes off the board and you're saying, well, look, the Browns, you know, they're going to get one of those other three. They didn't want one of the other three. They wanted Jedrick Wills. Yeah. And he was head and shoulders above on the Browns draft as to the best tackle in this draft. That's why after all those picks were taken 10 minutes, the Browns pick was in in like that. And, you know, I said, how did you weigh the trade down? And he basically said that once we knew that if Jedrick Wills was on the board, there would be no trade down. That's what they told us last no. night. So yeah. they got exactly what they wanted. I think it's fascinating on the tackle standpoint. My guy, Austin Jackson, ends up going 18. No Ezra Cleveland in the first round. No Josh Jones in the first round. Ezra Cleveland right. did not go in the first round of this draft, and I think that that's an interesting Well, We'll get into the craziest pick of the draft, which we all know what that was uh, later on. But nonetheless, it was exactly it went exactly the way that I think the Browns wanted. I think Simmons on the board would have made it a very difficult and gut-wrenching yeah. decision and one that you would have to think about for a long time. Oh, did we do the right? This, not at all. He's off the board. Very, very easy. We're going to go ahead. We're getting our guy. We got Jedrick Wills. In. And I talk, when I talked to him last night, the first thing I asked, I said, look, you have to have an idea going into this draft that teams are going to probably draft you as early and that thus want you to play left tackle. I said, so, you know, have you already begun work on your sets from the left? He's like, all I've done is work out as the left tackle. So I'm already yeah, making that transition uh, and trying to get, you know, my footwork right awesome. and teach myself that, which I thought was showed a guy that, that gets it and wants to be prepared. And I thought the note from Paul DePodesta last night that Bill Callahan was the offensive coach who helped Tyron Smith go from right tackle to left tackle with the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. And now he's the guy that's going to do it with Jedrick Wills. And I think we couldn't be in better hands uh, from that from that regard. Yeah, you think about a guy who was an elite high school basketball player who had yes. incredible, has incredible footwork, incredible hand speed, all of the things that would be required in the wide zone. They ran some wide zone at Alabama, so he's familiar with what's asked of him. Uh, the, the fit is a, it's a wonderful fit. And it, it also, um, now that, that that issue is taken care of in terms of tackle, now, and we'll get into this a lot more as this goes along over the course of the next couple of hours, now you peek ahead to round two and you think about safety – Z, Xavier McKinney, not off the board, did not have that. Did not have no. that. I didn't think he got in the top 20. Still on the board. Winfield's on the board. 
Chin's on the board. Delpit's on the board. The receivers. Can you speak his name? You were getting loaded. mad at me if I texted his name. I had That's to take right. it back, and I just come out here and speak it. Spell check. Unbelievable. Well, I just trying to act like it was no big deal. Like just, oh yeah, yeah, no deal. Yeah, 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 so no all deal. of those guys on the board, the receivers that are on the board, it's bonkers the talent at wide receiver that's on the board still. Yeah, it's absolutely loaded. And Dane Brugler is going to come uh, at two thirty and talk with us about you know the best players available, the needs, and and I've been saying all along what I would love to see in these next three picks here, which will all come today, is give me two guys on defense that you think are playmakers and give me a, a wide receiver. And, and I think it lines up incredibly well for it. You know, the yeah. talent you talked about, it's safety that's there. I, I even think that, you know, when you think about the third round, plus, you know who else is still on the board? Gross Matos is still on the board. And Gross yes. Matos is the only defensive end of his ilk that is available right now. So you have a chance, you know, maybe to get a Gross Matos at 41 and then push receiver safety and look at an Ashton Davis or a Terrell Burgess uh, and, and get a receiver in the third round. There's, there are just a lot of opportunities here, but so much talent with McKinney, Delpit, and Chin on the board. Sure, of course they could all go. Three of them could go in the first nine picks. But you look at the teams that are picking, they don't all need safeties. No, so they don't. I think that it's very possible that the Browns are going to be in a position where these safeties could be there. They might have a, a pick of a couple of them. And so this is yeah. – it's lined up It's lined up very well. The receiver, T. Higgins, is still out there. I mean, Chenault is still out there. Yep. There's it's, – it's stacked, It's really man. fun. It really is. There's interesting guys in the in the third round, like, like Lynn Bowden Jr., who's a stud out of Kentucky, yep. who they had to play quarterback this year, but he's a, a receiver. He's a kid out of, out of the Youngstown area, just a total stud who's still out there, some Pitney. dynamic players. It's going to be – Mims, right? Yeah, it's going to be great. The other thing about this as we close out this first segment here, uh, the Trent Williams, the Redskins obviously overplayed their hand for Williams, and now they're in a position where probably obviously we're out of it. And so you do wonder if, if – and again, we could have done both, but you do wonder if now resource allocation, now can you get more in – and John Clayton reported we were in on Clowney. Could we now get more in on Clowney even now that Williams is out of the mix? Absolutely. Look, I was uh, right. I was talking to somebody that I trust very, very much that said his number is down in the 13, 14 a year yeah. range. I mean, you could that's just a straight swap for OV at this point. And I think Olivia Vernon's a great player. Don't get me wrong, but sure. I'd rather go a little bit younger there if we can and, and have somebody that's a multi-year potential solution. So you could yeah, I think you could be back in on the Clowney sweepstakes. You could be back in on the Yannick and Gakwe sweepstakes. The difference is you don't have to give up any picks to get Jadavion right. Clowney. You'd have to give right. up picks and money to get Ngakwe, which at this point, why would you do that? So I think, why yeah, they've got to be back in on Clowney. I think that's a great, great option for the Browns. We'll see, though, Epin Epinesa and Gross Matos still on the board. Epinesa's as really good. Yeah. So you, both of it, them. I mean, we saw them all the time in the Big Ten. They're both really good players. I'm just going to throw out ten names, and I'm going to tell you this, Browns fans, we are guaranteed to get one of these guys. Xavier McKinney. Xavier McKinney, T. Higgins, Epinesa, Gross Matos, Delpit, um, Michael Pittman Jr., Denzel Mims, K.J. Hamler, Jeremy Chin. You're guaranteed one of those guys. Winfield Jr., if you're wanted. Ross Blacklock that people love. I mean, Zach Bond. There's a lot of talent. You know when Ezra Cleveland's going to go off the board here. You know Josh Jones is likely going to go Jones off the is. board. Maybe you're going to see a J.K. Dobbins or DeAndre Swift. They're still on the board could here. Could be two backs going before we go. Right. Could be two. Detroit at 35 could go back. Right. Yeah. So the, yeah. I mean, you're going to have a pick of a really good player at 41. A oh. really good player. Like a guy who could start right away. Like that type of talent is going to be there for you 
at 41, which is a pretty remarkable thing. Those are the OBM Hot Topics, Ohio Business Machine. Preferred copy or provider of your Cleveland Browns. For all the X's and O's for your office, call 216-485-2000 or visit ohiobusinessmachines.com. Coming up next, much more on the fit of Jedrick Wills. Our thoughts on the coverage from last night. Some comedy, dude. Just straight comedy that was going on in these houses. Absolutely incredible. We will get into a lot of that stuff. And, of course, the Hoff will join us at 1.30. uh, And coming up at 2.30, Dane Brugler uh, as we look ahead to rounds two and three. So, as the kids would say, load it up. Cleveland Browns Daily, 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. a first responder or healthcare worker head to McDonald's through May 5th get a free thank you meal. This is awesome. Small token of gratitude for all you're doing. If you're not a frontline worker, let let one know. McDonald's proud to take your order. So it is Jedrick Wills. Um, the the draft in general, Z, I, I, I've never enjoyed one more. I, I, I think I'm just starved for sports content and sports content I don't know the result of. But I was so into this. I so enjoyed it. It was so much fun. Um, as someone who spent the majority of his career in the television side of the business, I would tell you the what they did to pull this off technically is nothing short of a miracle. It, it absolutely defied logic. You've done, you know, every time you're at a, at a, you know, at a Sunday home game and you're down doing the pregame show on television and you think about all of the cable that you have to string and all of the things, how many times have you done that and it goes off the rails? It happens all the time in live television where you're off the rails in a remote location where something goes wrong or something's, somebody's in your IFB uh, that doesn't need to be. All these type of things happen. They happen regularly. And that's in one spot. This was This was 60 players. This was coaches and GMs. This was college coaches. This was 20 experts all ready to go on a whim. To I just was so appreciative of the product they put out. I, I really, It's a stunning achievement what they were able to do. It, it really is stunning. And there were some obviously some, some Steen Steelers, Steelers where you had a guy like Mike Vrabel, and I loved he had like an Oompa Loompa, Tennessee Titans Oompa Loompa with him. He had the guy with the mullet. I mean, that whole – That's we his can get kid. Into, going to, I know those are his kids dressed up. Of course, it's kids. the best. It's the, the best. One is on, the, then there was somebody taking a Duke. It may be. I'm not sure about it. I think it just maybe looked that way because it looked like that was a mirror reflecting off of people sitting on a couch. It seemed like a deuce to me. That The Vrabel shot was, was the best. It was the shot of the night. Remarkable what was going on in that. Um, the, the juxtaposition of Cliff Kingsbury looking like he's like in a, in a centerfold ad for Departures Magazine and, and then oh my God. Zach Taylor with a – a desk that you'd you'd get at you know off the street. I just it was a Belichick stunning table. I'm like, how are these the same people? Un- Listen, Kingsbury is living. Kayla, Miss Kay, and I were talking. He's got the the house. He's got the pool. Oh, that's Camelback Mountain right behind him. By the way, I'm, he is I'm literally aware, he's aware. literally right where I'm familiar. He's, yeah, he's it's right where having, you want to be. Barrio Queen, he's probably just having the, the time of his life down there. That was that was just an unbelievable thing. And he gets Isaiah Simmons, too. It's a stunning flex to go from um, – and you think about the various stages of his life. Uh, like, he he dated Britney Spears 20 years ago. Like, th- that. Yeah. 
So imagine, yeah. and Jessica Simpson. So you go from that, and then you 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 play quarterback at Texas Tech. Then you get a coach or alma mater. They pay you a boatload to do it. Then they fire you, and you're going to land at USC as the offensive coordinator to live at Manhattan Beach. And then the car will say, you know what? No, no. Come here. We'll give you the keys to the to the to the kingdom. You can draft your quarterback. So he gets to draft his quarterback, live in Scottsdale in that house, which is stunning. And then you get to pick Isaiah Simmons the second year. I mean, yeah. what? A, how much? How much fortune can one man have? Seriously, it's ridiculous. Absolutely. A couple ridiculous. of other things. Um, John Gruden and his kids were unbelievable. Oh my unbelievable. god! The and his like draft board. His draft board's in the shot. His draft board's in the shot. Like, I cannot wait for Caliendo to find, you know, two kids to behave like Gruden's kids and recreate that. Did you hear his call with Damon Arnett? Did you have a no. new probably on the radio? Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You ready to come in here, Damon man? Arnett. Oh, it was just <laughs> the just incredible. Um, the uh, A couple other things in terms of the, of the big picture stuff. Did you see Isaiah Wilson's mom rip his girlfriend off his head? I mean, throw her out of the shot. God you got C.D. Lamb snatching the phone back from the girl who tried to take his phone. I mean, there were some she, unbelievable moments last night. She used to date Trey Young in wow. Oklahoma. Yeah. So, yeah, he's getting. he's got the two phones. He goes to grab it, keeps up the conversation, yanks it out. Incredible. The Isaiah Wilson such... clip I've watched probably 12 times. I even showed that so to Kayla. I said, you've got to see – you have to see this. See Mama this. is not having it anymore. Not having it. No. I mean, That's she was enough. forcibly ejected off the screen. The girlfriend fights back. Oh, I haven't seen that. There's more? No, no, no. But you see her, like, resisting being pulled yeah, far, off. Oh, not for long, though. Then it's, no, Mama's, you're out. It's like a Royal Rumble. She threw it right over the top rope. There were some uh, There were some. Some stunning. There's only the one trade. Or, no, was there just the one? 14 to 13, or was there another trade that happened in the 20s that I'm trying to remember? Yeah, the oh, Patriots no, no, traded were, out of the first round. That's right. And then the trade from 14 to 13. So the Bucks, the Bucks go and get Worfs, who falls to them. They're going to have an opportunity now to get a Dobbins or a Taylor um, or DeAndre Swift uh, here in the, it, it, to put in it at running back. And you add that to everything else they've done with, with Gronk and Brady and everything else. And they now they get their left tackle in Worfs there. And so there was the move. The – Think about what the Niners did to be able to take Kinlaw. They basically replaced Buckner for $16 million less. Yeah, it was like perfect. This. Of course. And then they that's... still get their receiver at the back end of the first round. Yeah, that's what they do. It was a very good job, by, and, and no surprise whatsoever, a good job there by the 49ers. Uh, Ian Rappaport, by the way, would just tweet out some buzz on round two among the players the Bengals like at 33, Ross Blacklock and Denzel Mims. Colts and Dolphins, 34 and 39, open to moving out. Saints, Jets, Jaguars, Falcons among the teams who have made calls to move up, and he's posits that the Saints want a corner or a linebacker, Jets, corner, Jags, offensive tackle. Nobody talking about safety there. That's fine with me. Um all right, I would can have we just... to. I, I one one thing on Rappaport. He also reported two days ago. Yes, two days course. ago that of the course. Dolphins were yes. moving up to three to take a tackle, not a quarterback. So be careful. That's all yes. I'm saying. Be we believe we had that. All right, can we yeah. talk about the craziest pick of of the the draft? I think it's the I think it's the most onions you can have as a front office and a new coach to do what Green Bay did. Why? Okay. I think, and I'll say this, so the last time they drafted a skill player in the first round was 2005, was Aaron Rodgers. Yep. Mm-hmm. You, the, the 
the wasting of his window and the refusal to surround yes. him with top-flight talent, whether it was in free agency for all those years or now in a draft where you could have given him a Denzel Mims, you could have given him a playmaker on offense, and you draft Jordan Love, I think it is a criminal mismanagement of the resources that are there. Yes. And I think the fact that he will end up – they were 13-3 and three a year ago. What are you doing yeah. drafting a quarterback of the future for two years from now when you have so a chance I, to win a Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers? I was talking – I think it's a flex. I think that, that they're sick of him, which is crazy. He's so then you know sick. what? Ship him out, send him to New they, England, well, let him reunite with they, Belichick, and let's go. Reunite? Has he ever been with or, Belichick? No, but before? just get him with Belichick. I'm oh, saying put, oh, okay. put yeah, these yeah. legends together and let's go. Belichick can go from Tom Brady to Aaron Rodgers. Would you at all be surprised if that happens? I mean, no. I, 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 I called for imagine. it last night on the on the show. I was like, I want him to go to New England now. That's what I want. Yeah, I mean, I could see him going to Denver after the year if Drew Locke fails and and them going for him. I I think all those things are in play. I think it's a clear. I mean, it's a very clear. We're done dealing with you. We're tired of your complaining. Uh, we're tired of the disrespect. Peter Lafleur obviously has a lot of power in that organization. If you could dodge a wrench, you could coach the Green Bay Packers. It's unbelievable. And and, and he's got a ton of power. I was talking to uh, somebody who did sidelines for one of their games uh, this morning and from last year, and he said that the 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 board. He said it wasn't quite Scottie Pippen, Jerry Krause, but close between Rodgers and Lafleur. That it was close to that. That the wow. disrespect was that bad. So if that's the case, Lafleur's like fine. I'm done. I'm out. We're done. Uh, and and so maybe that's that's what happened. But yeah, I don't see any scenario. That's got to be. And I, the guy I feel most sorry for is Love, because that's the most toxic situation you could get in the middle of. Is that one? Well, yeah. It's, he's not going to get any mentorship from Aaron Rodgers. No. no. Nor and I don't know that Favre provided it to Rodgers, because that's no, it was a similar situation. Yeah. Favre was 35 at the time. So it was a similar situation when they drafted Rodgers. But they gave up a fourth-round pick to do it, too. It was It's amazing. And apparently because the Colts were going to go up there to do it. It was a wild day one. It really Very, was. Yeah, it Absolute was. Absolute bonkers. Um, I can't wait for this next the next hour of this because this will be a, a victory lap, the likes of which we rarely see. The great Hoff will join us. Joe Thomas will join the program. That is coming up next. You're listening to CBD on 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Browns fans, Tide is offering free laundry services to families of frontline responders. Visit hope.tidecleaners.com to find a location nearest you. And with that, we bring on the Hawk. Mr. Joe Thomas joining us. Uh, If you pay attention to the scores, as we say, uh, Joe had a certain guy he liked playing tackle of this draft and it all came to fruition my friend uh your reaction which we saw frankly last night on twitter uh but now that you've had a little bit of time to think about the fit of adding jedrick wills uh to this offense to this offensive line under bill callahan's tutelage and you're going to help along as well which is awesome news where do you sit with it now my friend well, i'm still ecstatic i think about all the positives of this pick and i think you mentioned a lot of them but Bill Callahan, first of all, is known throughout the NFL for developing offensive linemen. He's a tremendous offensive line coach. He can develop guys that have raw talent. And almost nobody in this draft, more than Jedrick Wills, has that raw talent. But Jedrick Wills, to me, was the number one tackle in this draft because he was much more technically sound than the other four guys at the top of the draft. Talk about Mekhi Becton. 
he might have been the player that had the highest ceiling because of his size. You look at a guy that's 6'8", 360, who's a good athlete. Yeah, he might develop into a Jonathan Ogden. But where he is right now and where we project his potential, there's a big gap. With Jedrick Wills, he's ready to step in day one and be a huge big-time contributor starter. And even I think he could be a guy that makes the Pro Bowl in his first year. So uh, I'm extremely excited. I think he fits the system really well. He can move. He's sudden. He's got quickness. He's got great balance. He's got great ability to recover, which is one of the hardest things to teach an offensive lineman. That's much more a natural athletic ability, a balance. That's DNA stuff. That's hard to teach. He's got it. He was head and shoulders above those other guys, and I'm just so excited to watch him in a Cleveland Browns helmet. The only thing that people are going to say, and they're going to point out rightfully so, is he was a right tackle in college. So he's got to make that transition. But to me – you don't have enough reps by the time you come out of college to have muscle memory that is not able to change. You know, you're six, you're seven in the NFL. If you've played right tackle your whole career, it might be a challenging transition. But a college kid, he's going to get more reps in his first year in the NFL than he got in, in four years yeah. in college. So to be able to change that muscle memory is not an issue to me. Take us into this conversation. He said you've reached out to him. You guys have talked. He's fired up about that. How did that go? What did you guys talk about? And, you know, how how are you going to, you know, it's nice to know that somebody's willing to listen to one of the greatest to ever do it. It seems that it's it should be something that's elementary, but I know in your case it has not always been the case when you've tried to reach out to people. So uh, what was that conversation with Jedrick like? Yeah, it was awesome. Um, I reached out to him on Twitter because that's how we do it these days. We slide into each other's DMs. And I just said, and this was even before the draft, this was about a week ago, when I really started diving in a little bit further into some of the film study because there was a lot of conversation about who are the number one tackles in this draft, how do you rank the top four guys that everyone kind of has as the best four tackles in the draft. And being that the Browns needed a tackle, I felt like, just going back, watching film on all four of these guys and comparing and contrasting against each other was a worthy exercise of my time. And so I went back and I did that. And Jedrick Wills was clearly head and shoulders the best player. And he had potential to even get better. And so for me, that got me excited. I reached out to him and I just said, hey, man, I think you're clearly the best player in this draft from an offensive line perspective right now. And I hope you come to the Browns. And, you know, he was really cool about reaching back out to me. And, and I even told him, I said, hey, between you and me, I told Andrew Barry he better draft you. And I, I used some different language. I said, I, I think I might kill you, Andrew Barry, if you don't draft Jedrick Willis at 10 and he's available. Uh, to which he had a good laugh. And we kind of kept that to ourselves because obviously you don't want to tip your hat because he was a big fan. And I think you guys heard that after the draft. Yeah, you heard yeah. Andrew Barry. You heard uh, Paul Podesta, you're Kevin Stefanski say he was the number one guy on our board for a long time. So once the Browns drafted him, I reached back out and I gave him my cell phone number and I said, Hey, if there's anything I can ever do to help, I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to put pressure on you. I don't want to feel like it's something you have to do, but if I could be a resource, let me be a resource. And he hit me up right away and he tried to call me back, but I said, dude, this is your night. Don't, don't waste time on the phone talking to me. Call me in a couple of weeks when things slow down. And so, it's been great. I'm, I'm really excited to watch him. I know that with the isolation, things might be a little bit difficult. But I said, hey, film yourself taking left tackle pass sets. Send them to me. And if there's any tips I can give you on things to work, out, work on Jeez. until you get back with, with the team, 
I'm all ears. I, I think that's the best thing that I can do to help right now. So what would you be looking for? What is it, you know, as you're looking to help him make this transition? And I talked to him last night after we spoke on, on the show, and I asked him, I said, I, you probably had an idea teams are going to want you to be a left tackle. Have you already been working? I said, yeah, I've been working on this basically since the, my season ended. I've been trying to work on everything from that left side. So what is it that you'd be looking for? And kind of take us in, you know, what, what are the drills that somebody could do to try to, you know, get comfortable as a left tackle? So the first thing I want to do is I just want to see him take a path set. And I want to watch it. And then there is a long list of things I'm looking for. Very minute details. I mean, I'll dive into the minutiae with him about where his inside toe is pointed, where the weight is on that inside foot, if it's on the ball of the foot. Are you squeezing your big toe? Are you feeling the ground? Are you tearing the ground apart with your feet and your stance? Where is your left shoulder? Is it a little bit high? Does it need to go down? Does it need to roll forward about two inches? maybe a half an inch. You need to curl your spine a little bit more. What are those the things that I can do when I watch you that can make you better in a week? Just something that I can give you, you can work on, and then I'm going to give you some drills to kind of hammer those things home that hopefully it'll give him a big head start when this isolation quarantine is lifted and he's able to actually go back and start working with his coaches. That's that's incredible wow. stuff, Joe. the The other thing you said in the in the your previous answer that was interesting to me was, and, and of course we would. But um, how much how much conversation did you have with AB uh, about this? Because to have a resource like you, you'd want to take advantage of it. And I know you don't not an, an official thing, but uh, the, how much conversation did you have with, with AB about uh, about the tackles in this draft? Yeah, I, I never want to be a burden. and I never want to feel like I'm overstepping my bounds. Because like you mentioned, I'm not a coach. I, I don't work in a formal capacity for the ground coaching staff or the scouting department. Yeah. Um, but there are a few things that I feel like I know a thing or two about, and one of those is left tackle. <laughs> and yeah. so when it was so clear to me watching these guys on film that Jedrick Wills was far and away the best player, not only right now from a – plug and play perspective as far as your technique and his ability to move but the potential that he has to get even better like i mentioned the ability to create power in the run game to be able to stop power in the past game from a firmness standpoint to be able to quickly recover move your feet side to side laterally mirror defensive linemen was so much better than those other guys i really felt like it wasn't stepping out of school to go and tell Andrew Barry, like, look, I've never really scouted guys, but this guy is clearly the best player. I'll take you back real quick when Ray Farmer was the GM and he gave me an iPad and there was like 10 offensive linemen on there and he asked me what my perspective was on all these guys. And I'll never forget, I looked at all 10 of those guys and I went back to him and I said, hey, I know I've never been in scouting. I'm out of the college game for a long time, but truthfully, I think all these guys think. I don't think any of them can get drafted. (laughs) And he goes, that's kind of funny because three of them are going to go in the first round. And at that point, I go, maybe I'm just not cut out for scouting. But in this case, with Jedrick Wills, I watch him and I go, he's an NFL player. He's ready to start right now. And I didn't feel like that convincingly about the other guys. I, first of all, awesome. I love that story. And, Joe, you say I'm not in any official capacity, but now you're a consulting on first-round picks. You are a, a part of the head coaching search, getting background <laughs> checks from your fellow your fellow pro bowlers. And, and you know, uh, it's uh, – 
You see, you've got to be pretty happy about that, right? You're still able to contribute in a very, very meaningful way. But I did want to ask you this because you're talking, you're going to talk with Jedrick. Have you talked with Bill Callahan at all? So that, you know, kind of the things that you're talking about with Jedrick are the things that he's thinking about as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, I never want to step on any coach's toes. And Bill Callahan's a phenomenal coach. Him and George Warhoff, who was a coach that I worked with for a long time, see things very much the same. But what, I, what I'm going to do with Jedrick and offer as a resource is not anything that would step on Bill's toes. It's more, I don't want to say generic because it's very, very small details, but probably things that most coaches wouldn't even think about. Things like I was talking about with that outside shoulder, with the inside toe in your shoe, the way you're creating tension in your body. Like those are sort of really, really specific detailed stuff that maybe coaches don't even know or don't even think about, but playing the position, it can make anybody better. And I'm, I'm going to kind of focus on those things rather than talk about, hey, this play, do this, that play, do this. No, these are very, very specific left tackle things. So it's interesting when you're getting down to that kind of minutia like you're talking about, I think of golf swing instruction because that's yeah. the only thing that I can relate it to. But, you know, I was I, I still think that the segment and people should seek it out when you came and talked about the things you think about pre-snap yeah. and, and how incredible that was, everything that went into making you as great as you are. But there's also a physical component to that. How long did it take for you, A, to figure all of these little things out that, that worked for your body and that obviously you've talked to some others. I'm sure Joel Batonio has taken some of your pointers as well. But in terms of getting it to where you don't have to think about because when you're golfing too if you start thinking well my elbow needs to be here my hand needs to be here and I need to be you can't hit a golf ball it's got to get to the point where that becomes kind of a second nature thing how how long does that really take that's a great comparison because swinging a golf club is a lot like being a left tackle it's the same thing over and over again but there's literally a million things that you have to get right in order to hit that golf ball where you want to and if one of those things is off the ball is spraying all over the rough like my golf game i know nathan you're a scratch golfer so i could never golf with you but (laughs) one thing i do know is playing left tackle and i filled up on average about five notebooks every season early on in my career it was mostly plays it was zone left zone right pass pro what am i looking for these different things by the end of my career they were almost all technique minutia things it was all those really really small details that i was developing in my own head it was nothing any coach taught me. it was just me watching myself me watching other guys on film and trying things it was a trial and everything it's like with your golf swing maybe if before i swing the club i just tilt my wrist a quarter turn this way or maybe i press with the inside of my thumb just a little bit more how does that change what i'm doing and so for me Every single play that I took in practice, I would make a note on it. And then going into every practice, I would write at the top of my notebook what I wanted to work on that day. And a lot of times it was, you know, like going back to the inside foot. I just want to turn my inside toe a little bit more. And then while I was thinking about that one thing during practice, I wanted to see how it affected my pass set and my technique. And then at the end of the practice, when I was reviewing the film, I would go back and say, that little cue that I was thinking about either helped me or it didn't help me. And if it helped me, I'd write it in the back of my notebook as some of the cues that I think about, because I do believe just like a golf swing, if you think about five things, you don't get anything accomplished. Right. If you think about one thing and you try to master that one thing, then once it's mastered, you can move on to the next thing. And it's just like stacking blocks on top of each other. That's how you, you get better technique wise. How many people in your experience 
do this. I mean, I realize that, A, you're gifted, but obviously it's the combination of the gifts and then this attention detail, this work ethic that propelled you to the career that you had where you're going to go walk right into Canton as a Hall of Famer on your first ballot. How how many people, and you've been, and I loved you, had one of the greatest, it wasn't even a humble brag because it's, it's just a fact brag when you're talking about Trevor Williams. <laughs> right. You talked at multiple Pro Bowls together, you know, et cetera. But, you know, <laughs> how many, even at that level, how many of the people that you've encountered truly had what your, your approach and your dedication to the minutia to every aspect of improvement? So I think that it's starting to filter into the NFL because, Offensive linemen are starting to understand, and offensive line coaches are starting to understand, too, that this is a position of big uglies that are really smart, that are really dialed into the technique. That's what makes you great. It's not like back 20 years ago or 15 years ago where it was, I just want tough guys that are just going to smash their skulls into each other, and it's all about who's the biggest and toughest guy. No, no, no. There is a cerebral aspect that is the difference between just a guy that's a starter and the guy that's a Pro Bowl guy. And so thinking about what I can do to help Jedrick, I think back to working with Alex Mack and Mitchell Schwartz and then Joel Batonio. I helped them learn my process for going through a practice, evaluating myself, and then how you can get better on your own because overwhelmingly – really good but they spend the vast majority of their time talking about scheme because they don't know technique generally speaking at an elite level so you almost have to become your own. a lot of credit to my track and field background and the way we used to study film on our shop put in discus and we talk about the biomechanics and the small details of how different changes with your your spin in the discus or your glide in the shot put changes how the shot put or the discus flies. And I spent a lot of time working with Adam Beard, who used to be our director of your performance, talking about biomechanics. He was a PhD beyond in biomechanics, and so he understood how the body worked. And I understood how football, pass set, and run block, the, how to sometimes say different things or how it would affect your body and so like just kind of bouncing those things off each other i was able to kind of develop my own technique and then try to pass that on to guys like mitchell schwartz when i worked with them and uh joel batonio and alex mack and i hope to do some of those same things with jedrick because in the end you got to find out what works for you and you've got to be your own biggest critic because your coach can help but it's up to you to decide i'm going to try this thing i'm going to try that thing and then i just need to write it down and see if it works Joe, what you just described is, is the way that I think a lot of us think that people like you know Manning approach the quarterback position, that type of intricacy. You've heard about Ed Reed, uh, maybe at safety, you know that type of film study, that type of dedication to craft, the minutia. That's what the best of the best do. The fact that you're ours is, is just spectacular. And the fact that you're going to mentor our next guy and add a, 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 a voice in the picking of that is absolutely – it puts you in such such comfortable position uh, as a Browns fan. Guys, real quick, let's just take a look at this, Joe – um, in terms of this offensive line room in two months, what's happened in free agency? When you think about you added Jack Conklin and now you've added Jedrick Wills to already 
that had Treader and Betonio. Um, and this is now uh, an incredibly powerful group and an incredibly deep room. I mean, Hub can play all over the place. So there's a lot of things that you can do now uh, with this room. What Andrew Barry has, and, and the group have done here is pretty stunning from a makeover standpoint in two months. Yeah, you talk about what was the weakness offensively last year. And I think the group that everyone would probably point to the most is the offensive line, right? We had some issues at the edges with tackles, inconsistency. And that was the one thing that we wanted to shore up, right? Because we want to see the best version of Baker Mayfield this season. And he can't be the best version of himself if he's getting his helmet knocked off on every single play. And the hardest position to find in the NFL today, probably tackle. Right? That's why they're paying guys the way they are. And so for Andrew Barry to be able to find the best tackle in the draft and Jedrick Wills, a guy that's ready to start day one, and then to find the best free agent in free agency in Jack Conklin and still have and not that the, the future is mortgaged by right? being able to get those guys and now to turn your weakness into a strength is hats off to him. And obviously he had some amazing resources with salary cap space and draft picks and stuff like that to be able to do this. But um, what he did was really special. And, and like I mentioned last night on the show, we also got to say thank you to the Giants and gentlemen for not drafting the best player when they were looking for an offensive tackle. Uh, so the Browns, a little bit of good luck. Doesn't hurt. It certainly doesn't. And I want to go tap into Joe Stradamus here because you got this one right. And I'm going to go back a few weeks. Maybe it was even a month. You mentioned Jadavian Clowney's name. And now that you, you know, and Bo had said this earlier today, I won't even steal it. I'll give him the full credit, is that <laughs> you have a situation now where you're not in on the Trent Williams sweepstakes. So you're not going to have to pay a left tackle market value. You're going to have Jedrick Wills on that rookie deal. Do you think that that makes Clowney now – maybe even more appealing to this organization because you've got you've got the money to spend there now and, and you can I, look even if he's the same as ov that's a straight swap there's no guaranteed money right now to olivier vernon and i'm not trying to run him out of town at all i think he's a very very good player but I, I, it would seem that maybe this opens things up for joe stradamus on Clowney to come true again so i always tell people when i go on the nfl network that i'm not an insider insiders are the ones that talk to the scouts and the gms and the players and the agents and they actually have information that are coming from decision makers. For me, I'm just a guy that reads the tea leaves. I'm a guy that played for nine head coaches. So I was used to sitting in the locker room trying to figure out what was going on upstairs. So if you just look at what makes sense and you try to figure out using your football brain and your experience, like what makes sense, who can make these certain moves, and then you just go out there and you prognosticate, you do a little dumpster domicing. Sometimes you look smart, and I feel pretty good about the Chandler Wills thing. And being that I connected the dots on Connie, I still think now that the Browns have been able to take care of their left tackle uh, concern, I'll say, they have the salary cap space to be able to add a guy like Jadavian Clowney and really, really feel good about that defensive line, especially when you're starting to look at the second round of the draft and potentially there's some exciting players at safety, maybe at some of these other positions that you still need, that all of a sudden you could walk away from this weekend <laughs> if you sign Connie. I mean, obviously, you have to look at it and you have to weigh the risk and benefit of signing an older player um, that is maybe a little bit banged up, but still an impactful player on your defense. But you could potentially shore up left tackle, defensive line, safety, and maybe even linebacker after this and feel 
really, really good. Like you don't have any big holes on your team. And as a matter of fact, you have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. You've got one of the best defensive lines in the NFL. And we, we know about the other guys that are on the team. So uh, just an exciting time to be a Brown fan coming out of this weekend. And there's a lot of excitement still to come. Yeah, there really is, and and I think if you just go back to the the objective of this front office that they put in, and and everything that ownership did in in firing in in hiring Kevin Stefanski, put Baker Mayfield, and which is in turn putting this franchise in the best possible position to succeed. And if you just look at it, it starts with the hiring of Kevin, and then Andrew, and then Conklin, and Hooper, and now Wills. You think about uh, you know Case behind him in in that room, Van Pelt in that room. Everything that's been done has all been part of this this big jigsaw puzzle that now that it's starting to get complete, you go, wow, look what's been created here. And and when you look at it, I think very clearly you can say that six will be the very best position to succeed. And it yep. the first two years were not in terms of so much instability, instability with, with him, uh, the stuff that he had to deal with. No longer. Uh, this is this is now a, a, a spot where you put any quarterback into and one of his talent ought to thrive, Joe. The number one goal for this offseason when Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski came in here was we need to give Baker Mayfield the best opportunity to be the best version of himself. And yeah. right now, you have to absolutely say they've done that. Not only have they done that from a personnel standpoint, but I think they've put together a harmony and a synergy with the front office and the coaching staff that we probably haven't seen for a while. And I think yeah. that will do a great job of giving a great kumbaya feeling over the entire organization that a lot of times gives those young players, especially like a Baker Mayfield, an opportunity to get the best version of himself because he doesn't have to worry about the drama. Because as, as a young player, it's a, lot of, it's a lot to be able to totally block out any of the internal drama that's happening in the building and focus on your job. It's really tough because you're just not used to being in that position. But now Baker has an opportunity to not have to worry about any of that off the field in the front office type drama, and he can just focus on being the best version of number six, which, as I think all three of us agree, is a really, really super high ceiling yeah. that has us being really, really happy in January. <laughs> it does. Uh, coming up next, I cannot wait to get your take on the temperature in the state of Wisconsin after what the Packers did uh, in the first round of this draft. I can't wait to have this. This was a crazy first round. We'll get the Hoffs' perspective on all of that coming up next. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. If you were injured at work, call the Workers' Compensation Lawyers at 1-800-ELK-OHIO for a free case review. Elk and Elk is a proud partner of the Cleveland Browns. Go Browns. We have the Hoff here with us for another half hour as we go around the league, and he continues to reside in the great state of Wisconsin. And I cannot imagine uh, doing a sports talk radio show in the state today based on what the Green Bay Packers did in the first round, drafting Jordan Love. Not only drafting Jordan Love, but trading up to get him. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is 36, and I don't, I've don't. i heard nothing that he intends to to uh, to retire anytime soon, Joe. Uh, when, that, when that happened, what was your reaction, and what is the reaction in the state? Well, my reaction was shock. Like, whoa! Maybe I didn't get the news, but I thought Aaron Rodgers was still a Green Bay Packer. I didn't realize that he'd been traded or retired. <laughs> maybe he, uh, maybe he and Gronk swapped 
thoughts, and now he's going to be retired on South Beach or something because I don't understand why they would try to find lightning in a bottle a second time. And I realize that their argument is, well, when we had Brett Favre, we drafted Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, how many Aaron Rodgers are there in the NFL in history? So basically what the Packers have done is they've mortgaged their house, they took all their money that they got for the house, they went to Vegas, and they put it on Red 12. <laughs> Hoping that Red 12 would come up two times in two decades. I'm afraid that doesn't happen because the fact that this was one of the deepest wide receiver drafts that we've seen in recent memories, the Packers desperately need a wide receiver to pair up with Devontae Adams or Aaron Rodgers, who's still got at least three or four great years left in him, and that they don't draft a receiver to help Aaron Rodgers is just it's, – it's a war crime. It's a crime against humanity, and Aaron Rodgers yeah. should break down the door right now and ask for a stake in ownership – he's not going to get because it's a publicly traded team or publicly owned team or he should ask for a trade or ask for those guys to be fired i do not understand how they in good faith can just say yeah well we get you're still a good player but we're going to be playing for the future i mean this is almost the same as tanking it's it's basically saying that we don't care about the not here and now and we're just working for the future they went 13-3 and three last year. The last time they drafted a skill position player in the first round of the NFL draft was 2005 when they drafted Aaron Rodgers. This is, and it, to me, it's just, it's mind-boggling. I, I couldn't understand it, and Bo was t- saying, you know, they were just trying to send him a message. No, uh, no, 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 that's not what I was saying. What I, no, 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 no. What I said is that I talked, that's not what I said. What I said was, is I talked to somebody who worked That's what you said, they're sick of them, and they wanted to check them. No, no, I'll say it again. What I said was that I talked to somebody who worked a sideline game from a Packers perspective last year, and that the way that Rodgers treated Peter LaFleur, Dodger wrench, you can coach the Packers, the way that he treated him was so disrespectful that that this almost seems like Lafleur going to whoever's running the Packers now, and they have trust in Lafleur, and they're all just sick of each other, and they're ready to almost move off of Rodgers. I think that's the only way you can view it. I don't think you can view it any other way in terms of preparing for future or anything else, but rather that the Packers are ready to move off of Aaron Rodgers sooner rather than later. So are Which they is... going to trade him? Like, that's what I understand. I, I understand you can be fed up with him and – you cannot like the way that he's handled certain aspects of his professionalism and how him and uh, Matt LaFleur are meshing. But they went to the NFC Championship. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So if you draft a quarterback, that's great. But is Aaron Rodgers on the trade now? Like, he's not exactly an easy piece to liquidate right away because you're going to have to get at least two first-round picks from him. You can't cut Bobby. You would need two first-round picks. And at this point, you would have to wait till next year to really trade him. And is there going to be a trade partner that's going to want to give There's up? Only two, two I can think of. I don't know. I mean, it's just so bizarre. Like you would think if they were done with Rodgers, they would have tried to move him in January or February and set up the whole team for whoever the new guy is coming in. But we haven't seen that. And so they're kind of caught between a poop and a sweat right now. It's like, they're still stuck with Aaron Rodgers, who is an incredible hall of fame talent. who's still got years left. But they're already planning actively and using resources on the future. You you can't be in both boats at the same time. If you're Aaron Rodgers, and I said this earlier, I think it's just one of the most 
epic cases of gross mismanagement. They were, for years refused to sign free agents to help him. And then now in the draft, they refuse to draft skill position players in the first round to help him. They draft a quarterback now. I think when you look back, the fact that he's only going to win one Super Bowl, and I think with this move, there's, it doesn't seem like they're trying to win a Super Bowl again this year. I could be right. wrong about that, but it feels that way to me. That's gonna. I think we'll look back at that as as one of the real stunners of our time. I don't think anybody thought when they beat when they won their Super Bowl that that was gonna be it for Aaron Rodgers. No, stunning. We're all stunned. Stunning. We don't stunning. even. I don't know. What do you guys think? Like, what should they do with Aaron Rodgers now? It's it's yeah. almost like you heard. Send him to the to Patriots. Send him to the Patriots. I mean, I, I, the two teams I thought of were Patriots uh, or Denver if Drew Locke doesn't work, um, and you know that that Elway would 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 try to do Manning redo next year in in Denver. Um, I don't know how you could trade him now. You'd have to wait. I would think you'd have to wait till after next season to trade him. Um, well, but thing, that that would be you, what I would think. Yeah, after you draft the quarterback in the first round, now you've told everybody that you're trying to get rid of Aaron so Rodgers, dumb. so that decreases his value. There's not a lot of buyers and bidders already. And so you've got a generational talent that you're decreasing the value before you tried to trade him. Doesn't make sense to me. It no, it doesn't. I think I think uh, as we as we think about some of the other big stories from the draft yesterday, three quarterbacks in the top ten. Miami, the amount of nonsense Miami put out in the last month was amazing. Um, and if you if you listen to this show and pay attention to the scores, we had that one. They stayed with Tua the whole time, which is what it was at the Combine. Herbert was at the Combine. That stayed the same. Burrow, uh, number one to Cincinnati, which this doesn't please me to say this, but I think he's in a pretty good spot. Taylor's going to be there four or five years minimum. They're going to get Jonah Williams back next year, who was their first-round pick at left tackle. They could take Josh Jones at the top of this draft or Ezra Cleveland at the top of the second round. And they could solidify both of those things uh, for Burrow. He, I think he's in a pretty good spot of the three of them. I think he's in – because I think the Herbert spot's going to be tough in, in L.A. with all of those veterans. Plus, I don't think Herbert's very good, Joe. <laughs> well, we'll find out. They've all Listen, in L.A., he's got good skill position players. In Cincinnati, they've got good skill position players. In Miami, yeah. I imagine they're going to bring in a running back at some point here, and they'd have a, they could have a great running back. they got Devontae Parker, who really blossomed last year. they got Jaseki, the nice tight end. So they've got some skill position players. But, yeah, Burrow's in the best situation. Herbert, I mean, what's so funny to me is, I don't know about you, Joe, when you look at that Chargers roster, they seem tailor-made to slide a Cam Newton in there. They've got a lot of pieces on defense and Bosa and Ingram and Derwin James and others, Desmond King. That they are, They're a team that was on the precipice, throw a real quarterback in there, and, and maybe we'll be able to do something. I know they had it with Rivers, but Cam seems to almost fit their style of what they wanted to do, and yet here they go with Herbert. And But, yeah, the Bengals are going to be tough. Our division's going to be good. I mean, there's no way around it. Our division, I think, is if not – I think maybe the NFC West and the AFC North top two divisions in football. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what the Steelers do, right? Because Big Ben coming off uh, elbow surgery certainly looks like the Bengals are going to be a much improved team. We know how good the Ravens are. The Browns, we all think, are going to be really good. So, hey, I I don't know. I I hate to say this, but I, I think the Steelers are going to be on the bottom looking up this season. I don't hate to say that at all. Yeah, I love to. Hit. I love when you. I love to hear you say that. I, 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 I'll tell you. I. I wonder if they. You know what they do with backup behind Ben because there. There's no landing spot right now for Cam or Jameis or Dalton for that matter. There's no place to go. New England. That's it. 
That's the only place left. I mean, there's no place to go. I, you, you thought maybe the Chargers, if they didn't, I, if they didn't like Herbert, if I were them, I would have taken Wills, and then I would have signed Cam, and I would have let's go. That's what I would have done if I were them. Um, so, so they go the other way, and it, it, this is an interesting spot. Uh, Joe, I want to get your observation. I'll, I'll give you three things uh, th- that caught my eye, our eye, uh, last night in the draft: Cliff Kingsbury's house, Mike Vrabel's kitchen and the humans in it i think most of them were his kids or or you can talk about all of these uh jerry jones potentially drafting from some sort of a 007 enemy spy lot uh yacht i think all those things were in play last night i mean this draft will go down in history for a lot of reasons but i think the things that people are going to remember the most that are going to be telling their grandkids about are those three things that you just mentioned because obviously doing a virtual draft is unusual and strange enough in its own right but when you have owners and head coaches giving us a little view into what their life looks like, it's just, God. I mean, Jerry Jones from the 007 yacht. How about Andy Reid wearing the Hawaiian shirt, like sitting in like some exercise room in his house or something <laughs> random. I mean, just the funniness. And I think what's kind of cool about um, the virtual draft was it allowed people to show their personalities a little bit. Because the NFL is so buttoned up. It's so serious. It's such a yeah. ex- extraordinarily profitable business and serious business. And the NFL draft is very serious. So we're used to everybody having this really high standard of how they dress, how they act. Everyone's got to be in suits and you got to be very serious and formal. Being that everybody's at home, you have this kind of collective sigh of relief where everybody's like, Oh, I can kind of have a little bit of fun with it. And you can see their personalities come out a little bit with Rabel. Uh, I thought that was hilarious. Andy Reid. And then it just gives you, as a fan, something to laugh about in these really, really tough times. So I thought the NFL draft last was awesome. so cool. It was how cool. great it was what we needed. How great was Belichick's table? I mean, he's prob- that table's got to be 40 years old. He's probably had that since the 70s. Amazing. I mean, you know he's t- on it, Nantucket. That- and that's what he's doing. He's Kingsbury's over here living the dream right at, in the in the foothills of Camelback Mountain, and you got Belichick just sitting at an old checkerboard table. By the way, my wife saw Cliff Kingsbury, and her first reaction, and this tells you a lot about her uh, obsession with cleanliness, was, oh, my God, he's got shoes on his house. Right. <laughs> he was wearing, like, $1,000 Ashi loafers at my wife was offended that she was wearing shoes in his house. <laughs> my guess is, tell your wife, based on that image, my guess is those are his house shoes. I bet you yeah. those don't go outside. That would be my guess on after that picture. Yeah, the that rest was of the house crazy. was that spotless. Like a, that had to be staged. It like, looked staged. Who wears that outfit to draft? Who has – I mean, the whole thing – he was wearing to the combine, though. That's how he dresses. He was wearing he a, a white button-down shirt with Italian got, loafers. A low button. It was crazy. It's unreal. <laughs> What a flex. What an incredible flex. All right, uh, enough fun and frivolity. Let's get back to the business at hand, and that is what we're going to draft in two. We've got three picks, uh, a two and two threes. We will get into that with the Hoff. What do we need to do? What do we want to do? We will get into that coming up next, CBD 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. 
If you're a first responder or healthcare worker, head to McDonald's through May 5th, get a free thank you meal as a small token of gratitude for all you're doing. If you're not a frontline worker, let one know. McDonald's, proud to take your order. All right, guys, it is the second and third round. Uh, earlier in the show, uh, Joe, Nathan went over like 10 names. You're going to get one, at least one of them is going to be available. And, and quite frankly, a lot of them are going to be available because among the names he didn't mention were tackles. There's a pretty good chance the, that Ezra Cleveland and, and Josh Jones are both going to go before we pick. I think there's a possibility that two of the running backs go before we pick. So all of a sudden, all those safeties, all those receivers, many of them will be available at 41. Um, what do you think? Um, let's do this. You're an office insider. What do you th- what do you think would be the position of most importance on the draft board? Not necessarily player, but if you look at the two positions, wide receiver safety, which one has more importance to this front office? Uh, to me, it's safety, just because offensively, when you look at what Kevin Stefanski wants to do, he's very comfortable running two tight ends, two receiver sets. And so having that third receiver be a, a stud is not as crucial to me as shoring up that back end. Now, having a third receiver that you can really count on to make some big plays and to win some of those one-on-one matchups. Cause when you got Jarvis and Odell, they're going to get the double coverage. They're going to get coverage rolled to them. So your third guy is going to get a lot of one-on-one coverage. And so it's a little bit of a luxury to be able to have a, a stud number three receiver, but you have to find a really good safety in my opinion, somewhere in this draft, or that's going to be a big hole that they're going to be concerned with potentially all the way up the middle of the season. Listen, uh, obviously my dog feels very strongly about this as well. She's getting fired up in the background there. But, Joe, if, if you wouldn't mind, Bo and I would, would, would appreciate maybe one of your clearly very powerful texts that say, draft Grant Delpit or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight you, you know? <laughs> Is there any oh, way we can make that right happen? Right. Yeah. yeah. Andrew Berry. If you don't there it goes. Have, it's happening live right now. I'll kill you. Again. <laughs> Love, love you. Great job yesterday. <laughs> love Joe, man. Listen, hey, it worked. It was one for one. It was one for one. I agree with Joe, though. I think safety, that's probably your biggest need. It's just going to be interesting to see how you evaluate the quality of the receiver there versus what you think you can still get at 74 because there are still – the fact that no safeties have gone yet means that you've got them all. McKinney, Delpit, Chin, Winfield, Duggar, uh, Ashton Davis, Terrell Burgess, they're all still out there. So there, it's going to be interesting how that plays. Plus – you still got some edge rushers that are out there. Gross Matos is on the board. Epinesa's on the board. Two Big Ten guys. I think this is it's loaded, and I wonder if this is a spot where the Browns maybe try to get into the second round and get two of these type of a guys, uh, as opposed to you know waiting or maybe take something from the future and move in. Because a lot of people think that's the sweet spot in this draft. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see once again Andrew Barry sitting in a situation that's very enviable. He's got a couple needs, and he's got a ton of players that are going to be on the board when he's likely going to be drafting. So he's got the ability to move up or down to be able to get his guys or pick up more draft picks. And it'll be fun to watch because I think even though we didn't see a lot of trades in round one, I think you're going to start seeing a lot more movement here in rounds two and three. Yeah, that was something that I wondered about, Joe, because it, you know we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, just the idea of I, I, I think what, it, what ended up happening last night was 
despite a lot of people saying, hey, the technology is not going to be a problem, we're going to be fine, my gut tells me that there was probably just a little bit of apprehension. Are, am I sure that I'm not streaming this live, this conversation I'm having with this GM? It seemed like a lot of them just yeah. kind of stuck to the plan and stuck to their boards and just took next best available. I think Atlanta is the best example of that, where they there was no reason to take that corner at that spot. You could have you could have traded back and got him, or you could have you know they they just felt like well we got to take a corner. I guess he's the next one. Let's take him. And I think there was some of that that happened last night. That almost just such a loyalty to board for fear of 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 messing up the ability of making a trade. Yeah, in the first round, the stakes are super high, right? And so a lot of yeah. times when there's uncertainty and there's high stakes, you get risk aversion that comes out from your veins. And I think you see that in the NFL when GMs and head coaches, they're used to having all their resources and their scouts right there and all their scouts are on the phone with different teams and they can really see what the market is for those picks in live uh, time. And not having that access to those resources right now I think everyone just kind of de-risks, looks at their board, and goes with what they've been talking about during the week because certainly the teams have had plenty of Zoom meetings and talked about this is our strategy, this is what we're going to do, boom, boom, boom. But as the draft unfolds, things change. But I think without the ability to talk in real time to all your people that you trust in your building, what you're going to see and what you saw was GMs just going, nope. I'm not going to take any extra risks. I'm just going to get the yeah. players that we talked about, and I'm just going to go down the list and keep selecting. But I think that changes rounds two, three, four, and so on because the risk is not as high because you're not dealing with a first-round pick anymore. It'll be interesting to see how it goes. And as we talked about earlier on the show before you came on, and you know this very well from being in the Browns building, sometimes things change so much from the combine to the draft on teams' boards, even though there really isn't football going on, whether it's you don't like the way somebody shakes your hand or looks at you, et cetera. And it seems this year what we heard at the combine, what all the rumors were at the combine, stayed absolutely 100% true on the draft day because you didn't have all that kind of stuff. And I wonder if we'll look back at this draft and – it has a higher hit rate now. That could have just been because of the talent, but I also wonder if it's because we're focused on the things that are the core essence of scouting as opposed to getting into you know that paralysis by overanalysis where we start thinking about other things when we get in the guys in the building and we don't like their disposition or whatever it is that can take somebody who was you know, right after they were done playing football in, in February, March, that's at the top of your board, and, and, and all of a sudden you go to draft day and they're off your board, which has happened in, in the past. Yeah, that's a great point. I've always thought that there was too much time between the combine and the draft because there's so many smart people that are focused on these different players and you give them two, three months between the combine and the draft and everybody kind of puts the players up there and you look at sort of the best side of all those players coming off their college film and the combine, but then the time from the combine to the draft is where you start poking holes in them. And a lot of times you're poking holes and finding holes that aren't even there. And like you mentioned, you know, you start getting into the silliness. Well, he didn't shake my hand. And when he came into the building, he you know, didn't look me in the eye or, you know, was on his phone or whatever it is. And not having a perspective that, you know, a lot of these prospects are going and seeing 20, 25 of these different visits. And they're probably kind of bored and sick of it or maybe tired because they're going to two or three different places in one day. And so you don't have that over analysis that oftentimes leads you down a path of finding bad things about a player that don't exist. Yeah, it's it's been fun. This was awesome. I needed it, Joe. I don't know about you. I needed sports I didn't know the answer to. It was awesome last night. I can't wait for tonight. 
I love that. I needed sports that I didn't know the answer to. That's, that's exactly right. what I felt like, and that's why I'm so excited <laughs> about tonight. It's sports yeah. without really being sports, and we haven't had anything. We've had nothing, We've had nothing. for months. Nothing. Oh, always a pleasure talking to you. Always the something best. when we get to talk to you, my friend. Appreciate you so much, uh, and look forward to talking to you again soon. Guys, thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure. Yeah, keep us that posted was... on your texting. You know what I mean? Let us know what's going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, let us know. Let, let us, us know. know what AB says. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Very good. Always good to have the Hoff, uh, the ultimate <laughs> insider, at least to this He's not an insider. He doesn't talk to anybody. You heard it. It's Joe Stradamus. Right. He reads tea leaves. <laughs> That's right, only tea leaves. <laughs> Coming up next, we will take a look at the second and third rounds with our good buddy Dane Brugler. Uh, you're going to get a lot of smart, uh, a lot more smart in terms of a lot more smart state school. It happens, man. You're going to get smarter. That's right. You're going to get smarter <laughs> on who could be picked in the second and third round. CBD 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Browns fans, Tide is offering free laundry services to families of frontline responders. Visit hope.tidecleaners.com to find a location nearest you. Time to, for a visit with one of our favorites. He is the Athletics' Dane Brugler, our draft insider, uh, one of the draft insiders. Dane, well, we, we've got one round down. What are the headlines for you coming out of round one as we head into round two today? Wow. Uh, you know, you look at the first round, uh, especially the top half and how it went kind of like we thought. There were, you know, there weren't any big surprises, no big trades. Uh, you know, we thought there were several points of the draft where we could see trade backs, trade ups. Those didn't really materialize. Tua goes five, Herbert goes six. Uh, the Browns, instead of trading back, they stay put and take, in my opinion, the best tackle in the draft, Jedrick Wills. Uh, I think uh, the uh, C.D. Lamb uh, going to the Cowboys is certainly a surprise. So and we had a few other surprises in the back half of round one with you know, Damon Arnett, uh, a little early for him, uh, good player, but the, taking him top 20 was certainly a surprise. Jordan Brooks, a little bit of a surprise. And then the Packers going up for Jordan Love. Uh, that's something that, you know, just fascinating dynamic with, uh, you know, 15 years ago, the same thing happening with Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre. Uh, Brett Favre was 35 years old when the Packers drafted Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is 36 right now. So it's kind of the, the same type of deal. And so how is Aaron Rodgers going to treat this situation when he has such a intimate knowledge of what it's like? So a lot of interesting storylines coming out of round one, no question. Dane, I think one of the most interesting storylines coming out of round one is the fact that the, the top of the round two board in terms of best players still out there seems stacked to me. There are a ton yeah. of great players, many of whom we thought might go in the first round, that are still out there. When you look at and kind of look through a Browns lens, but you know, best players that are still out there, how many of these guys did you think were, were maybe first round talents and who do you kind of are you liking for the Browns now? Yeah, and I think it's interesting when we look at the, the four or five trades that did happen uh, in round one, only one of them, and that was the Chargers coming up for uh, Kenneth Murray, only one of them included day two picks. Every other trade was fourth rounders, fifth rounders. I, I think teams were really reluctant to give up those day two picks this year yeah. because they know this draft class, it stretches uh, with the talent and yeah, just look at who's still available uh, as we enter round two on uh, on tonight. It's it's 
uh, some really uh, quality talent at, at every position. Uh, you want a receiver? Okay, Michael Pittman's still sitting there. Denzel Mims, who we thought had a good chance of going around one, still there. No safeties off the board, uh, which not a huge surprise. I, I didn't have a, a single first-round grade on any safety in this class, so I'm not too surprised that, uh, that we didn't see one in the first 32 picks. But now we're going to see a run on these safeties, and it'll be really interesting how many go in the top 40 uh, between 33 and 40, uh, and then the Browns sitting there at 41. Uh, would they have their chance at maybe the top safety on that and on their board? Whether that's uh, it could be Antoine Winfield, could it be Jeremy Chin, uh, could it be Grant Delpit? So I think it's going to be a really interesting situation with these safeties. Linebacker, still some really good ones. Zach Bond still available. Logan Wilson from Wyoming. Uh, and you know, when's that first tight end going to come off the board? Uh, could it be the Patriots there at 37? Cole Komet from Notre Dame is sitting there. A few really good defensive linemen with A.J. Epinesa, Yeter Gross-Matos. So, no, you're right. It's, when you have guys like Noah Igbenogany and uh, Jordan Brooks and some of these names going off in the first round, that pushes other good players to uh, round two. And so we're going to see, uh, you know, the, the first portion of, of, the, of round two, some really good players that we thought could sneak into round one are going to come off the board. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, let's go to let's focus on safety. Uh, a lot of people, I know that you and I, we've talked about it, you, I, and Bo, uh, that it is, you know, that's probably, it could be a round two target for the Cleveland Browns. So of the people picking in front of them, and I don't, if you have done a second round mock, I would mm-hmm. say everybody check it out. Yes. Um, okay, what do you, what do you, how many safeties do you see going between in 33 to 40 going ahead of the Browns? Well, and I think it's important to point out, too, that we always see trade action here at the beginning of the second round. It, it seems like every year teams go home after or stay home in this scenario uh, in, uh, after the first round, and they reset their board, and it's kind of like, oh, wow, this guy's still around. Okay, well, he's not going to last very long. We always see movement at the top of round two, so I think there's uh, you know, potential for shakeup here. But when we look at it the way things are right now, I think you look at a few teams right before the Browns. Miami at 39, they are looking at a possible safety. I think Xavier McKinney would be a great fit there. Uh, And then Houston, they're on the lookout for some safety help. So we could see uh, an Antoine Winfield there who's a Houston native, uh, maybe going to the Texans or, uh, you know, Jeremy Chin, Grant Delpit possibilities. So there might be one or two safeties off the board by the time the Browns are on the clock at 41, but there still should be some quality options for them if that's, if that's the direction they're looking to go, uh, you know, still a good chance J- Jeremy Chin could be available, who we've talked about at length, a guy who's a four-year starter at Southern Illinois. As long as you're okay with the quote-unquote small school uh, part of his resume, you'll love everything else about him, the versatility that he brings, uh, the fact that he can play both sidelines, has that type of range, he can cover, he can hit, uh, the testing portion off the charts. So Jeremy Chin's going to be a really interesting player now that we turn the page to round two. Dane, is he your favorite of the of the safeties? I think it depends on what you're looking for. He's my number two safety. Xavier McKinney is my number one. Um, but if, if you're looking for a guy who is uh, going to be able to hold up in coverage, then I think Chin would be your guy. McKinney, he is the, one of the best tackling uh, defenders in this class. Really good high to low, really good breakdown skills, uh, tackles through his target, rarely misses any any of his uh, any of his targets. So. Uh, I, I like a lot of what Xavier McKinney brings, but if you're looking for a guy that's going to hold up more in coverage, who can play man, can play z- some zone, 
can drop, can play that single high, uh, can play more of a more of a spy where you're going to let him creep down towards the, the line of scrimmage but then maybe drop. He can just do so many things for you. And that versatility for a guy that's 6'3", 220 with 4'4 speed, I, I think that it, he's not going to have to wait very long to hear his name called. So I, I think he would fit very well with what the Browns want to do at that position there at 41. Hey, let's go to the third round um, uh, as as we go there, and let's play Andrew Barry for a second. And and let's say that you get the safety. Let's go ahead and project that we get one of the safeties at 41, and you want to go receiver at 74. Uh, a lot of talent still available. I think a lot of these guys that, that we that we know the names of are going to go in that second round. Who are some, some late second, early third receivers that you think would be a fit and Z and I kind of think if, if they are going to go a receiver, and we think it's very likelihood that they will in one of these picks, uh, that it will be a burner. Who Who's kind of in that burner mold who could be there by the time we get to 74? Well, we've talked about K.J. Hamler before and the type of impact he could make. You know, we saw Henry Ruggs go in the top 15 picks uh, last night because uh, you know he ha- he's the closest thing to a Tyreek Hill in this draft. And the Raiders know all about Tyreek Hill playing in the AFC West. So they got their own version of that. And K.J. Hamler, not quite on that level, but you know he's not too dissimilar from, say, a Hollywood Brown, who the Ravens drafted in the first round last year. Undersized, you worry about that. He'll have some drops, smaller target, but when the ball's in his hands, he can go. And he creates uh, missed angles, uh, missed pursuit angles by defenders. He's a really tough guy to square up. He can create with the ball in his hands. He can uh, get vertically. He can also stress, stress you out horizontally whenever he's on the field. The defense has to account for that type of speed, whether he gets the ball or not. So K.J. Hamler, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, is he going to fall far enough where uh, I don't know that he's going to last to, what, pick 74, but maybe if you feel that if he gets to, say, 57, 58, would you go get a player like that? And another burner who's not – he was very different uh, stylistically, size-wise, Chase Claypool, 6'4", almost 240 pounds, but he ran in the low four fours in the 40-yard dash uh, at the Combine. Uh, there's a lot to like about him. He can play special teams. He, he comes in a different package than a K.J. Hamler, uh, and I don't think he has as much make you miss to him, but with what he can do with his size down the field and be a red zone target, I think that's someone that Baker Mayfield would love to have as part of his uh, targets to throw to no doubt about it. Talking with Dane Brugler. Dane, as I look at your second and third round mock, which you can get off of his Twitter at DP Brugler, but of course you need to have an athletic subscription. You can go to theathletic.com to get that, as well as get his great, great draft guide. Uh, you've got KJ Hamler going to the Ravens at 60. No thank you. Uh, no thank you at all. <laughs> T. Higgins going to the Packers, 62. And then LaVisca Chenault from Colorado going 68. And I mean, if you get to pick 60 and those three guys are on the board uh, and you've already gotten a Delpit or a Chin. Yeah. Man, I, I I don't know about you guys, but I certainly would I would like to move up and make sure that I got one of those guys if I'm the Browns from 74. Yeah, and, and I think that there's a little bit of a drop-off after you get past those three guys. Uh, so that, that would be, I think, like the top 11 receivers uh, right there. And so I think there's a little bit of a drop-off after those three. You're talking about Claypool, Van uh, Jefferson, K.J. Hill, some, some quality options. And I actually had the Browns with that, that uh, second, third-round pick. I had him going Lynn Bowden, the versatile, do-everything player from Kentucky. So I, I still had them addressing that position, but later on. Uh, but there is a little bit of a drop-off. So I, I'm with you. It would be awfully tempting 
to go get that target. LaVisca Chenault, but this guy's a first-round talent. It just comes down to the durability. Can he stay on the field? Uh, he takes so much punishment because he's so hard to tackle. You just get the ball in his hand, and his instincts, his acceleration, not only can he make guys miss, but he'll run through you as well. He looks like a linebacker at 6'1", almost 230 pounds. Uh, I thought he, I think he's a first-round talent. It's just, again, comes down to the dependability factor with him. Um, but this, this receiver class, uh, it's, it's really interesting. If, when you get to that late second, the, the Ravens are building a track team, and if they're able to get a K.J. Hamler, uh, that, that's not something you want to see in that division. So uh, that would be a really interesting scenario for the Browns. If, uh, if some of these receivers would fall a little bit, would you be aggressive and go get that guy? Uh, I, I think it would be awfully appealing to do that. Dane, one other position we think the Browns could potentially be looking at would be the edge class. And Gross Matos, Epinesa, two guys that some thought would go in the first round are still on the board there if you were to go that way at 41. But how about uh, a couple guys that you have going here in the third round that I think are, are interesting names in terms of what I've read about from an athletic profile? Terrell Lewis, the edge from Alabama. Um, Daryl Taylor as well, the edge from Tennessee. And then the last one would be Jabari Zuniga, the edge from Florida. Are those guys that, that you think? And look, you have them all going there in that late third-round area that some people I thought said, thought that Taylor or even Lewis might end up going in the first round. So what do you think about that group and if that's a, an area the Browns wanted to look at to get a little bit younger on that D-line with Miles? Yeah, there's no such thing as having too much pass rush, and so I think that's absolutely a position uh, they should explore and, and look at. And uh, unfortunately, with Terrell Lewis, it's just the medicals. Uh, there, he is off a lot of draft boards around the league because of his knee. And I, I don't know how the Browns feel. Um, you know, they might feel that in the third round, it, it's worth the risk at that point. But uh, like I said, the the medicals are not good with Terrell Lewis, unfortunately, because he's a first round talent. He is a big time, you know, at six five two sixty with his length, with his flexibility, his get-off, there's a lot to like about him. And if the doctors say that maybe he can play out his rookie year and maybe beyond, then absolutely take the chance in, in the third round. But uh, it just comes down to the, to the Browns' doctors and how they feel about that. Uh, you know, Darrell Dur- Taylor's a guy that he looks the part. It's exactly kind of how you draw up a pass rusher. You just wish that he would let it loose a little more. Uh, and you, you feel like... You know, you, you watch his tape, and you just you wish for a little bit more out of him because you know he, he has it in him. You just want to see it. Um, and so maybe with some pro coaching, he can get there. He can bridge the gap. But that's why we're talking about a third-rounder, not a first-rounder. Um, and then, you know, Julian Acora from Notre Dame, he's going to be in that area. Um, I, I think Curtis Weaver's possible. You mentioned Jabari Zaniga, who's not really that. He's more of a face-up rusher who's going to try and go through you. He's not a guy that's going to bend and try to – uh, capture the corner. He's going to go face up and attack you with that power. And a lot of times that would work in the SEC. I don't know it's going to be uh, the success rate in the NFL, but I think he's going to be a quality rotational end who can come in and spell your starters and give you a little bit of juice off the bench. Dane, thank you for your time. Excellent expertise as always, my friend. Appreciate you. Anytime. Enjoy tonight, guys. Yeah, going to be fun. You know, it's amazing, folks out there listening. We don't have any pre-show conversation with Dane. We don't say we're going to ask you about this guy. We'll ask you about this guy. Cool. We'll ask you about this guy. We're going to give you position groups. We just, we just do 15 minutes with him or we'll do a half hour. You had him on last night on the, on the pre-draft show. Um, and you give him no prep and you just drop names. Out of the He's clear got blue it sky. all. He's got it all right. He knows ready. everybody. It's encyclopedic. It's incredible. What is his depth of knowledge there? The specifics he has on literally any name you say it's, incredible. it's amazing. 
Final segment up next. Cleveland Browns Daily, 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Join the University Hospital of Cleveland Browns Radio Network tonight starting at 7. Complete coverage of the 2020 NFL Draft. Ken Carmen, Nathan Skurd, Gerard Cherry bring you day two of the draft with appearances from Jim Donovan, Joe Thomas, J.C. Treader, draft picks, front office staff, coaches, and more. You have that to look forward to tonight at 7. And then you and I and Gerard will do it tomorrow noon to 3 for the fourth, fifth, and sixth rounds of the NFL Draft, my friend. Glorious. Uh, looking forward to it, man. A little a weekender for us. It's going to be great. Yeah, rare treat. Rare a treat. Rare treat. Give you an idea of how important – remember last week I told you about how I was getting a little concerned about my kids are playing a little too much Star Wars because they don't yeah. have any sports to inspire them? They are currently – I can hear them. They are right right there uh, on the side lawn, all dressed in football, playing football. That's because what live draft, sports – The power, yeah. Right. That's what live sports does. It inspires you to go play them, and, and children do it better than anybody else. Um, but, but it was so needed last night. I guess I'd forgotten – you know, we talked so much about it. And I, but then once we got into it, buddy, I was so enthralled by it, and I just I devoured it. Oh, it was great. Yeah, same. It, it was it was perfect. It was fun. It was a great presentation. They did they did take a little bit of a time getting into it. 20, 20 plus minutes on the open to to go through all the things that needed to be gone through. Apparently, yeah. Uh, but then when they got into it, yeah, it was great, and, and people like it. Have you seen the numbers? I haven't seen what the ratings numbers were, but I have to imagine they were yes. astronomical. I saw the three highest-rated cities in the country for the NFL draft were all in Ohio. So Columbus was number one, Cleveland was number two, and Cincinnati was number three. Wow. Yeah, like 16.7 rating in Columbus, 15-point-something here, and 15-point-something uh, in Cincinnati. Jeez. Yeah. Massive. It's what we do. It's what we do. It's what we do. Exactly. We do, we do football. Friday to Sunday, we do it better than anybody right. else. Second round, you got you got 15 seconds. What's the dream of uh, Dream picks tonight. What? How's this go? Give me Delpit at 41, and then let's move back in and, and maybe come out of here with a T. Higgins or LaVisca Chenault or a K.J. Hamler, and then I would be Boy, would moonwalking be down Lou Groza once I'm allowed to be there again. <laughs> once we're allowed to be, hopefully soon, I hope. Be nice. Yeah. Hopefully the next soon, level yeah. is next. Uh, same, what you said. Sign me up same. for that. I'll take that all day. Uh, I do like Lynn, Lynn Bowden, though. I do like him a little bit. Uh, going to be fun tonight. Enjoy it, kids. We are going to be back on Monday to break it all down. The next level is next. Cleveland Browns Daily, 850 ESPN Cleveland. You've been listening to Cleveland Browns Daily, a production of the Cleveland Browns and ESPN 850 WKNR.